Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy. Wall Street has long served as the embodiment of greed in our economy, represented perhaps most visibly and memorably by the character Gordon Gecko in Oliver Stone's movie. Many have long called for investors to consider the good for society as opposed to their own profits in investing their money. The ESG movement is the modern version of socially responsible investing, embodying this idea that, of considering societal impact. Perhaps ironically, finance's attempts to change the world instead of making money have proven even more controversial than greed ever was. How has an investment strategy managed to become a contentious political issue, even being discussed by presidential candidates? And is ESG truly a threat to a prosperous and thriving market economy? Joining me on eConversations today to discuss ESG is Dr. Alan Mendenhall. He's the Grady Rozier Professor and Executive Director of the Johnson Center here at Troy University. Dr. Mendenhall has a bachelor's degree from Furman University, a law degree and master's degrees from West Virginia University, and a PhD in English from Auburn. Prior to joining uh, Troy, Dr. Mendenhall worked at the Alabama Supreme Court, and he was also the director of the Blackstone and Burke Center at Faulkner University's Law School. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Dan, thanks for having me. As always, I am always uh, very happy to be here and very grateful to you for having so many episodes and being a tireless defender of market education. Well, well, thanks thanks so much. And we'll have you on more times if, if, if given your, your, your opinion of our host. Um, so before we get started, just uh, explain for our viewers what exactly ESG is. I use the initials there, but they, have, uh, they, they are an initial. So explain for everybody before we get started here exactly what uh, ESG is. So ESG is the acronym that stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And that acronym involves the financial, non-financial factors and metrics that central banks, institutional investors, investors in general, uh, all sorts of financial institutions take into account when they allocate capital or assess risk. So we're principally talking about investment criteria. When people say we're going to invest in ESG funds, what they typically are referring to are more than anything else, mutual funds and exchange traded funds. So um, a mutual fund is different from an exchange traded fund in that they both pool securities, mm -hmm. but a mutual fund is traded once a day. The value of it is calculated at the end of the day, whereas an exchange traded fund can be bought and sold all throughout the day. Uh, mutual funds are typically actively managed by a, a manager, you pay fees, whereas an exchange-traded fund is a passive investment vehicle. Right. And an exchange-traded fund will typically track uh, an index, something like the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. 
and therefore, uh, as a passive investment vehicle, it typically outperforms the market because you're not dealing with human intelligence having to pick this company or that company or this field or that field. Um, mutual funds are much older. ETFs are, are, are more of a newer form of mm -hmm. investment, but they are typically where we see uh, ESG investments occurring. So explain a little bit like so the, the ES, ES and G environmental, social and governance uh, components. What would be some of the things that would fit under those uh, headings. Yeah, so under the E, for example, you might have companies included within an E if they have committed to net zero emissions by 2050. Mm -hmm. All sorts of environmental factors, uh, whether they're pertaining to biodiversity or just in general uh, pollution or other mm -hmm. uh, initiatives that those companies might undertake that are green. Um, the S would refer to uh, social, and that can be a wide variety of things. I think in Europe, the social tends to involve more workers' rights, right. okay. whereas in the United States, the social tends toward uh, you know diversity, equity, inclusion in the mm -hmm. workplace, or uh, commitments to different social causes, whether companies are investing money in uh, Black Lives Matter or uh, uh, one one sort of controversial area in which we're seeing it is after the Dobbs opinion is whether a company will pay for employees to go across the state to get an abortion in mm -hmm. another state where abortion is legal. So okay. these all are factors that fall into the S. Yes. The, the G refers to governance, as you mentioned earlier, and this is sort of board level diversity mm -hmm. or uh, executive compensation, those types of matters. Um, but I actually like to think of the G in the bigger picture in terms of the shift from the shareholder to the stakeholder model of governments. The traditional Milton Friedman yeah. line that corporations exist for the maximization of profits falls under the traditional um, shareholder model, whereas the stakeholder model is different. The stakeholders that are obvious would be uh, customers, would be employees, would be suppliers, but stakeholders are broadly defined these days to be society writ large or even the environment, categories mm -hmm. that are so broad that they're almost undefinable. Right. And that is the shift that we're principally seeing in this ESG um, trend. And then the explicit idea would be to use your money to advance these causes as opposed to trying to make money for yourself or make the most money you can or make whatever return you want with a degree of safety. So it's really explicitly not trying to do what, uh, to maximize your own return, but rather to try to advance these causes through your actions or through your investments, right? That's right, and so there are sort of two sides to that. The first side is on the investor side. So people are investing in, let's say it's an ETF that's ESG weighted. Well, they put their money in an ESG portfolio to, uh, to, to try to realize some returns in social values. And that is perfectly okay mm -hmm. as a retail investor, as a household investor, as an individual. You can put your money wherever you want to put right. it. Where ESG becomes problematic is where we have, um, in particular, government money being invested. So municipal bonds, pension money, sovereign wealth funds, these are all invested, uh, and they're invested by institutional investors that um, then take their, their profits and buy shares of publicly traded companies 
and then try to push those publicly traded companies into some of this ESG space where otherwise these companies would not have participated in ESG. Now they've got their shareholders telling them, hey, you yeah. need to um, move into this space on this particular issue, or you need to uh, diversify your board, or we need to get rid of your, um, you know, this committee chair because this committee chair doesn't represent a particular ethnic group or, um, you know, doesn't have, you don't have enough, uh, you know, diversity in terms of sexuality on, 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 on the board and, and mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Um, but these are all pressures that get exerted sort of pawn companies sometimes uh, against the company's best interests. And, and so whether it is be th through investors or pressure on, like, say, the, the Fortune 500 uh, mm -hmm. uh, companies to change their ways, it, it's still sort of this idea that th these businesses need to pursue these, uh, change society. That's right. A as opposed to either maximizing their own profit, if you're talking about, like, Ford or Exxon, or investors going out there trying to allocate their money to... Uh, make the best returns, the biggest returns they can. Well, that's absolutely right. And it's important to realize how powerful these companies are. So mm -hmm. uh, the big three are BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. And they together have around 23 to $26 trillion of assets under management. That's mm -hmm. larger than the entire United States GDP. Well, there are just under $100 trillion of assets under management globally. Well, how in the world do you get to those figures when you only have a little over 300 billionaires in the United States, uh, excuse me, 700, a little over 700 billionaires in the United States, a little over uh, 3,000 globally, there's just not enough private wealth in the world to get to those mm -hmm. astounding figures in the trillions of dollars. So where do they come from? I already mentioned it's a government money. Um, the sovereign wealth funds are big ones. Uh, Norway, so explain, explain, yeah, explain what a sovereign wealth fund is, because sure. I'm not sure everybody's going to know, you know uh, what that is. Yeah, well, sovereign wealth fund is basically just a state-owned investment fund. Um, so Norway is a very oil-rich country, and it has about a trillion dollars worth of assets under management, and it's its sovereign wealth fund. Uh, China has. And, and so, like, what Norway's done there is they've taken some of that royalties or some of the, the, the money that would have come in uh, from their oil, their, their oil developments, and they've put it in this uh, savings, in fact, a savings account, right? That's right, and they've invested that money. And so uh, China has over a trillion. Um, United Arab Emirates and, and Kuwait have somewhere around a trillion each. Uh, Hong Kong has about 500 billion. Qatar has about 500 billion. So these are, these are astronomical amounts of, mm -hmm. of, of government money that are getting invested. And this is notwithstanding the pension money that gets invested. The top 100 pension funds in the world amount to around uh, $18 trillion. Um, so now you're starting to see where the money comes from. This is mm -hmm. how the big three have that much money under management, that many assets under management. That's how globally we have almost $100 trillion of assets under management is through these, um, these, these government investments. And I haven't even mentioned uh, bonds among all those. And the other thing that's a, a sort of a, a newer trend is these are all institutional investors. So 100 years ago, you know, most investors were just household retail investors. They were wealthy mm -hmm. individuals. They weren't these big institutional investors. Um, in uh, 1981, institutional investors amounted to about 35% of owners in the stock market. That went to 58% in 2002, and now it's over 80%. So the stock market is is become dominated by these institutional investors and not by just wealthy individuals. 
and, um, and, and they're the ones that manage all this government money. Now, there are other forms of private money. There, insurance money gets invested, mm-hmm. uh, endowments from foundations, those you know, university endowments that are privately managed, those, those, those make it in there too. Um, but these are all different mechanisms uh, for how these asset managers get so much uh, money under management. There's this idea, though, that ESG is a privately driven thing, and I, I really would challenge that. Um, the interesting thing about ESG is it starts to blur the distinction between public and private. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just take BlackRock as the big so bad the, guy. Let's, let's, let's think about this for a second. Yeah. So when you say private, like any investor today, just as any investor in the past, could always it's free to invest their money however they want. And if right. they want to, like, you know, for instance, during the Vietnam War, some people wouldn't want to invest in Dow Chemical. They were making the napalm that was being dropped on villages. And people thought, like, okay, even if that's profitable, you're so, that's sort of like blood money. You've got blood on your hands. Yes. You're making money yeah. from making this product that's harmful. And, and there's nothing, you, you, to be clear, there, there's nothing wrong with investors choosing to invest only in businesses that, even if they're legal, they think like that's not something I, I want to be part of. That's not something I approve of. Absolutely, and that could go on the left or it could go on the right. If you are an investor and you don't want your money going toward the firearms industry, then don't put it there. If you are an investor and you don't want your money going uh, to, to pornographic companies or you know or whatever it is, alcohol, tobacco, you name it, that's fine. You can invest your money to maximize social value if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You can also hire a money manager. You can hire an right. asset management uh, asset manager to invest your money in those ways if you put controls on how your investment is, and that's perfectly fine. Where the problem is, is when asset managers are investing government money, you think about where all that government money comes from. It comes from all these people who really lack agency in determining how that money gets invested because they're investing for on behalf of, let's say, just to just use an example, let's say it's the state of Alabama. Well, the state of Alabama becomes the client, notwithstanding mm-hmm. the maybe you know thousands and thousands of people whose money is contributing to right. that fund. And so then you have a situation where uh, these individuals whose money has become government money through pension tax, whatever it is, now they don't get to choose where the money that, that, that they earned and that they gave to their government, now the government's investing, they have no mm-hmm. agency in determining where, where that money is getting invested. So um, when that happens, the investor is acting as a fiduciary and for, for all these purportedly numerous beneficiaries. And the problem comes when those investments are not based on the maximization of financial value because now you're investing on perceived social value where there's no way to actually assess that like what do what do the people of Alabama want what does Joe want and Larry want and all these different mm-hmm. people you, you can't determine what they want in terms of social value but it's clear that they want returns on financial investment that's an obvious thing right. yeah cause with the pension one thing you can clearly say you know obviously you don't simply have enough money uh, taken out of your pay to, to pay the benefits. The expectation is that that money is going to be invested and it's going to earn returns and then it's uh, not just what you saved but the, uh, the primarily the earnings on those returns especially if you start young in your 20s starting to save from that is like uh, you have your 40 years to for that uh, compound interest or, or the, the compounding returns to to build up a, a lot of money. So clearly people have a they're counting on 
uh, that, that money earning a return that's sufficient to return to uh, um, fund their retirement. So that, that's exactly right. And and just to to add to that, I mean ESG violates a fundamental principle of investment. I mean the traditional wisdom behind investment was that you were doing two things: mitigating risk and maximizing returns. Mm -hmm. And that required diversification, diversification across fields, across industries, because if there's a downturn in one area, well, there might be an right. uptick in another area. So to mitigate risk, you needed to diversify. Well, ESG narrows the range of possibilities for diversification. It automatically takes off the table entire fields, mm -hmm. entire industries, companies, that are deemed unacceptable by ESG criteria. So as you narrow the range of investment possibilities, you narrow the possibility, you, na you narrow the diversification options. Mm -hmm. And that just by conventional investment wisdom, just by sheer math, means that you cannot realize the same returns. And in fact, we've seen that ESG had a couple popular years during the pandemic, 2019, 2020, were, were popular years for ESG. Um, but ESG has really plummeted. ESG uh, investments have really tanked lately and are performing um, uh, very poorly. I was listening to NPR of all stations and they had someone from Mercer, not the university, but the financial institution on the other day and was uh, talking about how ESG weighted portfolios cannot outperform the market. They're just, mm -hmm. it's just not possible. Investors can put money in ESG portfolios if they wish, if they have other motives for investing, but if their motive is to generate returns, that's not the best place to put your money. Now, you, you used the term fiduciary duty. So let, let's mm -hmm. uh, explain this, because this really gets back to the people running, say, a, a, a pension uh, fund, or if they are you know, running a mutual fund, they, they, they have a fiduciary duty. Explain what, what that uh, legal concept is. Yeah, so a fiduciary is someone who acts on the behalf of another. So if, uh, if you give me money to invest on your behalf with clear instructions to generate as many returns as possible with that money, mm -hmm. then my fiduciary obligation with your money is to do that very thing. Uh, there are other forms of fiduciary duty. If you serve on uh, the board of directors of a company, your fiduciary duty is to that company, mm -hmm. not to the president, not to any officer in the organization, but to the entity that is the organization itself, which means you have to, you have a heightened duty to act in the best interest of that organization. And anyone who is investing someone else's money has a heightened duty to that person to invest that money in keeping with that person's intents. And most people still want to invest to maximize returns. That's what the point of investment is. Mm -hmm. If you want to put your money towards social causes, well, there are charities for that. You can donate money for that. You can pay people to do that. There are many other ways besides investment to right. realize those goals. But if you did want to do that, and they had like, there was an ESG themed funds like oh this is ESG investing not S&P 500 this is not you know trying energy stocks or, or, or other themes uh, and people put their money into that then then, then in one sense that would be fine and also yeah. whoever's running that ESG fund would have a, a duty to the uh, investors to truly invest in ESG, in ESG causes well and this isn't this raises another issue of why I think ESG portfolios are starting to tank and that's because the SEC has this new name rule, which requires 
that it requires any fund that pools securities allegedly for ESG to, in fact, have 80% of those assets actually be ESG. Mm-hmm. Because what was happening is, the, you've heard the term greenwashing, which is when uh, ESG funds purported to be very green or very environmentally friendly, right. but in fact, they had a bunch of non-ESG stuff in it. Right. So those years, 2019, 2020, when ESG securities were doing really, really well, well, it turns out one reason is because they weren't actually ESG. Mm-hmm. So now the SEC, in cracking down against greenwashing, is trying to, to say, look, if you're going to advertise your fund as ESG, it better have in it what you say is mm-hmm. in it. And another thing with, uh, you'll, you'll see with, with, um, with some of these actively, in particular mutual funds that are ESG, that are very actively managed, is that um, you know, they're probably not the best way to realize your environmental goals because of the amount of money, amount of money you're paying in fees mm. to these people to mm-hmm. invest your money, when you could skip all that and just give it directly to some activist organization that's out there doing something green. And then one issue that, that would arise uh, with a, a pension fund particularly, since you've got all these thousands of, of people, say uh, school teachers in a state who are, are in, members of this thing, even if they all sort of wanted to invest in social causes, they wouldn't agree on the same social causes. And so, agree. I mean, that's one of the, the, the big issues you see with any business, certainly with a, a, a historical one with uh, any corporation. If they say we want a corporation to pursue uh, good causes, well, you know, amongst all the stockholders, they're not going to agree on the same good causes, and, and so that's a, a cause of conflict there. Absolutely. So, but just to be clear, with like pensions, it's particularly clear that even though somebody is say running the state pension plan, it's not their money. Right. It, it really, it really that is money that belongs to the. Uh, uh, beneficiaries, the, the members of, of that, that is their mo- is money that was taken out of their paychecks to be invested on their behalf to make money f- to pay for their retirement benefits. That's correct, and there's really not a sufficient mechanism yet to determine how to assess the wants and desires of all those pensioners yeah. when it comes to investment. How do you invest money? If it's not on the basis of returns, what is it? Really, the only criterion is returns on investment, is mm-hmm. maximizing returns. Once you start getting into anything else, social value, there's no way you can find something that's representative of yeah. all of those many, many, many people. Yeah, and is it the old argument about like why companies should be trying to maximize their profits because you maximize profit, then everybody can take their larger profits and contribute them to their own favorite causes. That's right. Uh, so. Over the last couple of years, there's uh, begun a, what's now being labeled an anti-ESG uh, movement. So, tell us a little, amongst people who feel that this is like a bad way for our economy to proceed, what does uh, what are what are they doing in response, and what is this anti-ESG movement? Well, there is both a public and a private side okay. to this. First of all, ESG is getting criticized by big name figures, people like Elon Musk calling it the devil, and Donald Trump. Uh, calling it something or other. But you had an 18-governor coalition led by Ron DeSantis that was going to be an anti-ESG coalition in which these governors of mostly red states were going to encourage their state legislatures to oppose ESG by either divesting or taking whatever action was necessary to combat ESG. Every single Republican United States senator has come out against ESG. Joe Manchin of West Virginia has come out against ESG. There's a lot of political pushback against ESG. You had uh, 
26 state Republicans attorney general sue to try to block um, a, uh, a new Department of Labor rule that would permit um, investors to consider uh, ESG non-financial criteria for 401k investments. Mm -hmm. And um, the Republicans, in fact, uh, lost, the attorneys general lost that, that lawsuit at the trial level and uh, on the basis that um, the Department of Labor did not act arbitrarily or capriciously in enacting that rule. Now, there's a big rule that's coming down with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. Uh, I expect that to drop in November. That's an unrelated issue. That's for ESG mandatory disclosures. Mm -hmm. But you're seeing a lot of, uh, of legislation at the state level pushing back. And that, that takes two forms. One is what they're calling, uh, uh, well, one basically prevents the investment of public money, uh, the public contracts, the use of public money for ESG causes. Mm -hmm. So you, you would say that uh, if, there's, um, if there's any public money being used to discriminate against uh, a local industry, whether it's agriculture, timber, uh, tobacco, firearms, whatever, uh, public money cannot be used in that way. The other one restricts the investment of pension money, in mm -hmm. particular state pension money, in uh, non-financial um, portfolios, non-financial funds, for any purpose other than uh, financial returns, so that you're not using state pension money. And that's, uh, that's going on in, uh, I think, 22, 22 states so far have adopted that. So we're getting close to about half the states that, that have addressed it at at least some level. Alabama had SB 261 that passed last legislative session that fell under the first category about the use of public money. They, okay. they have not tackled um, the, uh, the pension side of things. But those are all examples of how um, sort of publicly people are pushing back. But on the private sector, people are divesting from ESG because mm -hmm. it's underperforming. There's a new study out by uh, somebody named Christos uh, Macritus and Dr. Mar uh, Marheed Simon, and their finding is that investment portfolios that ignore ESG metrics and rely purely on, purely on returns, in fact, generate higher returns, that ESG portfolios are more volatile than non-ESG portfolios and higher risk and that they underperform the market. This is a study that just came out. According to an article in Forbes last week, assets under management in ESG declined by $339 billion in just the second quarter of 2023. So investors mm -hmm. are starting to realize, oh, this ESG is not worth it. Like we, we want returns on investment. We need to divest from, mm -hmm. from ESG because it's not generating returns. It was faddish in 2019, 2020, but now people have woke, uh, woken up to the reality of it and they've realized that over time, limiting the range of investment possibility is not a long-term wise strategy of prudent investment. And so, um, uh, ESG is dropping. Even in the last proxy season, um, we saw fewer shareholder proposals dealing with ESG, even just on that level, even the shareholder mm -hmm. level. Those have dropped a lot, and I think that has to do with sort of the pushback against Anheuser-Busch and Target for taking very controversial political stances in their advertising and suffering um, based on com consumer demand plummeting for their products and people mm -hmm. saying we're not going to shop at Target because these products are put in the children's section or we're not going to buy Bud Light because we don't like the way it's being marketed and um, because of the hits that those companies took I think we saw shareholders saying well wait a second we we need to take a step 
a step back here, and we can't just we can't just sabotage the companies that <laughs> that we own. Otherwise, what are, why are we owning these? All right. And, and just so one thing to sort of ramp up here, I want to make the point is like there's somehow the, the thought that you could either pursue returns or profits or do something that's good for society, but profit is actually good for society too, isn't it? That is such a good point, Dan. Profits are great for society because what, what, what do businesses do? They employ people. They add value to society by giving us goods and services at cheaper prices under a state of competition. And uh, they, they just they add value to our everyday lives. And, and that is a wonderful thing. Jobs, opportunities, and they invest in their communities in yeah. many different ways as well. What company wants to headquarter in a place and, and see that place doing poorly? Not, none. They, yeah. they, they all invest in their communities in different ways. Corporations are astounding in what they uh, do to improve the quality of life. And you know, every dollar in profit they get is, is is ultimately because somebody purchased their profit, and that shows that that they wanted to buy that good. It's a sign of value. It's a sign of value. It's a sign of value. Well, thanks so much for coming on and joining us, and thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another e conversations. This has been e conversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.